You're tuned into PBA FM on 89.7 with Bianca, and I'd like to welcome my guest on the program, Abbot George Burke, founder and director of the Light of the Spirit Monastery in Cedar Crest, New Mexico, United States. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. Good to talk to you for part two. Now, let's start off with our first question, Abbot George. I'd like to start off by asking you, how did you become a vegetarian? Yes, well... That has a couple of, of comic as well as uh, serious points to it. I, uh, my hometown was in the state of Illinois, south of Chicago, oh, about an hour and a half drive. It was a little town, wonderful. I loved it. It was only about a mile square, had a population of 450 people, and it was, of course, during the war years, I mean, well, Sorry, World War, the years of World War II. <laughs> when you were born in it, that's always the war. So anyhow, um, I'd say it was around 1943 or 44 that um, the system was there in town that you could call on the phone, tell the very tiny grocery store there what you wanted, and within about 20 minutes, a delivery boy would come bring you your stuff. So that's how we, how we got the food. So my grandmother had ordered Campbell's vegetarian, I'm sorry, Campbell's vegetable beef soup, which was sort of a staple. And uh, so the man brought the, the groceries, and then in a few minutes looking through them, my grandmother said, look, they, they served a completely wrong soup. This is vegetarian vegetable soup. My grandmother said, let me see that. I didn't even know they had something like that. So I said, what's a vegetarian? (laughs) And uh, my mother said, well, they live in California. Okay. And they never eat meat. I said, why not? She said, oh, I don't know. It's some idea they've got. And I thought, my, well. There are strange people in the world. <laughs> and about uh, 17 years later, I, I came across a book by a man named Jethro Koss. Actually, he is the uh, inventor of the pressure cooker. Okay. And he was very interested in health. He wrote a book, oh, I think in the 1920s, called Back to Eden. And uh, he didn't advocate vegetarianism as such, but he said no one should eat meat that was uh, commercially raised. That if a person didn't know the very farm it was taken from and so on, they shouldn't eat it. Well, about that time, there was a phase, at least in the Middle West of America, where chicken, nearly all chickens, when they were cooked, their bones were black. I'm not exaggerating. And they tasted like fish. Mm. I don't know what was going on, but it was really repulsive. And when I got a hold of Back to Eden, I thought, that's right. Uh, I should quit eating meat more than from a health standpoint. Fortunately, it wasn't long before I uh, read the Bhagavad Gita and Yogananda's autobiography of the yogi decided I wanted to be a yogi, and I knew yogis were vegetarians, and so 
began trying to be uh, a vegetarian, which is not easy in the midst of, uh, <laughs> I guess, what you would call carnivore culture. And uh, especially if you don't read labels. I remember after I'd been a vegetarian, oh, I could say how much. I'm getting towards, say, maybe nine, ten months in the vegetarian diet. I I bought some I bought a fro something frozen at a store and I brought it back to my place, put it in the oven, ate it and I mean the effect was, was, was horrible. I became so sick and uh, my stomach was uh, felt like I had a cat trying to claw its way out. I mean I was actually rolling around on the bed and in his pain. And finally, anyway, um, then the the, the the physical mechanism uh, kicked in, and uh, so I began having reactions to uh, vomit it all up and so on, which I didn't do. Maybe I should have. Do you think it's and easy? And I looked on Sorry. the label, and Can... all I saw on the label was the words, flavored with beef fat. Oh. But already, in just those months, uh, my system had clean, begun cleaning itself out enough that just a little thing like that, you know, my b- body said, no, 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 no. I understand that. <laughs> when you didn't give me this junk, and now here you're trying to give it to me again. So uh, that <laughs> it, it is really, really, really important that, like I say, people become... Uh, a label reaction. I'm glad for a couple of vegetarian friends of mine that were very intent on it. And I went to the store with one of them one time, and he didn't put a thing in the shopping cart that he hadn't read the label. And I thought, you know, that that makes sense. So that was my vegetarian uh, adventures. Right. Uh, I've certainly never regretted it. Actually. Uh, this I can tell you as you're a beginning vegetarian, is the longer you're vegetarian, the crazier it seems to you that you ever did eat meat. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. And I, I think that... I mean, when you think, what was I doing? Mm. What was I thinking? Well, that's it. You weren't thinking because exactly. the, 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 your diet directly uh, affects your, your mind because... Your body chemistry is determined by your diet, and it's very interesting. In one of the oldest uh, spiritual books in India called the Chandogya Upanishad, it actually says this. Here, back I'll read it so I get it right. It says, mind consists of food. Yes, I have, I've read that somewhere just the past few days. Yes, because it's... You see, everything is, is vibration. Yes. Now, you know, physics has figured that out, that solid matter just doesn't really exist. We experience solid matter, but in reality, it's all vibrating energy. And our mind, not just our brain, our mind and our brain are not the same thing. The brain is the instrument of the mind. And the mind is a field of energy. So the Padishad says, mind consists of food, that which is a subtle part of milk 
moves upward when the milk is churned and becomes butter. Mm. In the same way, the subtle part of the food that is eaten moves upward and becomes mind. Thus, mind consists of food. So there you actually have it. In fact, there I read an article by a psychologist who worked in a fast food restaurant when he was <laughs> studying at the university. <coughs> no, no, I'm sorry, it was an ordinary uh, a restaurant, and he had there were people that came in and they consistently ate the same dish of whatever kind of meat it was, and he watched them and he thought, you know, those people who eat chicken all the time, they're sort of acting like chickens. They're kind of, <laughs> Are you serious? They're kind of skitsy, you know, they're kind of jumpy. Those who eat beef kind of just come in and oh sit in the chair and just sort of... <laughs> unfortunately, they're not, but they look like they're vegetating. Gee, they're taking on the energy. Yeah, and oh. so when he got his degree and was practicing psychology... He actually got a grant. Unfortunately, I've never heard the results of it. But he got a grant to study the idea that human beings behave according to the kind of meat they predominantly eat. Gee, this is fascinating. And so then think of the people who will say, well, I'm not vegetarian, but I eat chicken and fish. Well, you'd love to have a mind like a chicken's or a fish. I know, it's, it's, it's really mind-blowing when, when we talk about it. Yeah, I mean, this is, this is pretty awful. I think last time I told you about a friend of mine who's very psychic, perhaps. Yes, did, you did, yes. Who, who found when, she, when the doctor insisted she become a vegetarian for a while, mm -hmm. her abilities increased, she said, at least three times more. Yes. Well, that's incredible. That's, it is. It's really incredible. I... And interesting, frankly, I often think that when I ate meat, I, saw, I thought like Frankenstein's monster walk. Oh, dear. Yes, and aggression levels are much higher in meat eaters than non-meat eaters, and the animal instincts become more powerful every time you eat meat, this uh, article oh, is saying in front of me. And uh, another spiritual aspect of being a meat eater is when one must question the necessity and the method as well as the karma of killing animals. Uh, yes. There's so much information on this topic. Yes, it, it, it is a really remarkable. If you look at it, you can see the behavior. I had a very uh, unpleasant experience one time. I became friends with a very, very remarkable yogi from India. He was actually a, a professor of higher mathematics at a university. And... Uh, was a remarkable man, which you could call a noble man. He came from a, a, a family that had, of course, been vegetarian for um, literally centuries and centuries. They were all remarkable yogis. And, uh, and as a person, he had this incredible integrity. And uh, one time there was a, a group of people got together, actually, except for myself and one other man. They, they were all from India. And about half the people in the room ate meat, I'm sorry to say, and half were vegetarians. Mm -hmm. The subject of vegetarians, of vegetarianism, came up. And really, Bianca, it was, uh, it was shocking to me. They were so 
rude, especially to this really, uh, you know, venerable kind of man. The, the mediators were rude, contemptuous, I mean, nasty, they yelled. I mean, the, the behavior was terrible. And when finally there was a lull, I said, wait a minute, I'd like to say something. The proof of the effect of diet on the mind has just been demonstrated. Every one of you who are meat eaters, everyone has sneered and said really nasty things, very disrespectful things to those who are vegetarians. And no vegetarian has said anything like that to you. Not a one of us has acted like we, we not a one of us have told you basically you're a fool. Yeah. Not a one of us has yelled at you. We just reasonably said what we had to say. And you didn't use any reason. You just reacted, in a, frankly, in an animalistic way because that's what you eat. <laughs> and uh, I am happy to say that they just at least got quiet then. Uh. Wow. Yes, people do report that they do feel a lot calmer, more at peace, and they do worry less and experience less fear after transitioning to a vegetarian or vegan diet. And I think it's easy to make the transition to a vegan or vegetarian diet when we know the facts. Yes. For Even, for we example, need... just it takes at least three times the amount of water to feed a meat eater compared with that used to feed a vegan. For example, it takes 15,500 litres of water to produce one kilogram of beef, contrasted with 180 litres for one kilogram of tomatoes and 250 litres for one kilogram of potatoes. So consuming animal products is incredibly resource-intensive. Yes. I mean, it's utterly irresponsible. Uh, I, tell me, in um, Australia, do you have access to a book called Diet for a New America? I'll have a look. I'll write it down. I'm not sure. Diet for New America. Yes. Uh, do you have the, the ice cream chain Baskin-Robbins there? Um, I think they've got it in Melbourne or Sydney. I'm not sure about Adelaide. Yeah, well, it's a, in, in, in America and Canada, it's a huge thing. It's sort of... If you say ice cream, it's Baskin Robbins. Yeah. Ice cream, they have like, I think they always, at every time uh, in, in the year, they've got 30 to 40 different flavors, but they actually have got about 100 that they vary. And this is written by, um, forgive me, I think his name was John Robbins, who was the heir to Baskin Robbins. Okay. And uh, he told his family, don't leave me your business and your will. I don't want it. Mm. And actually, he went and lived on an island in Canada and uh, basically cleaned up his physical system. And, uh, of course, naturally you could imagine the reaction the family had. And it's, it's really a, a marvelous book. It's really quite amazing. You'll have to look and, it up. Uh, about all his experiences and since... Uh, and he really looked into the, what you could call the meat industry, and it was really uh, amazing, uh, an, an amazing thing. And, of course, there again we have the difference. The, he, the vegetarian, did not hate his family. He, he didn't want anything to do with their way of making a living. But then they couldn't handle it at all, you see. And, again, like an ant, you know how um, animals... They see something either that's new to them 
or will it's alien to them, and uh, they they attack it. You know, mm. uh, I actually saw a very sad example of this when when I was still a child, is that uh, someone had gotten uh, a bunch of uh, little chicks, you know, from this uh, factory farming thing, but they put them in with, with, with a hen who had hatched some of her own. Okay. And they were actually in a room, in a room off the kitchen, and it was a very big uh, cardboard box and very deep. And... Uh, of all things, they had found a pheasant egg uh, out by a, by a fence. They were living in a rural area. So what they had done is they had put the pheasant egg in with this a hen's egg, and, when, and, and it hatched. And, of course, you could very definitely tell which was the little pheasant chick. And it was very, very cute, and I remember uh, these people showed it to me and so on. Well, the next day, it was gone. And so how could that little chick get out of this cardboard box? <coughs> so they, uh, they searched. Uh, they couldn't figure what it held as is. And then when they changed the, the newspaper that was in the bottom of the box, there was this little pheasant chick, and I, it was smashed flat. I mean, the poor little thing's little body was no doubt smashed to about a quarter of an inch or less thick. Mm. And what it was is the hen and her little chickens had killed that little chick. Right. Isn't that amazing? Right, yeah. Mm. I mean, just, just think about that. And this is an instinct that is in the little tiny chickens. So uh, what a horrible uh, you know what? What a horrible thought! I don't know what they do in Australia, but you know, Bianca, in uh, America, where they have this factory farming, they do such things that if any chickens die, they grind them up and mix it with the food and feed it back to the other chickens. Mm, yeah, horrific, horrific. Again, it, it, only such a horrific thing could be done by someone who had a toxic mind. Yeah. Now, I just want to read this. In Ethiopia, over 40% of the population is considered hungry or starving, yet the country has 50 million cattle, one of the largest herds in the world, as well as almost 50 million sheep and goats and 35 million chickens, unnecessarily consuming the food, land and water. And eating meat has been referred to stealing food from the poor in some parts of the world. And so continued growth in meat output is dependent on feeding grain to animals, creating competition for grain between affluent meat eaters and the world's poor. And this is uh, some stunning information and really quite disturbing when we read these facts. Well, one thing we don't think of, too, because nobody points it out to us and we're not aware, is the number of countries, so-called developed countries in Europe, that actually... Um, had a kind of an imperial expansion because they needed more land to feed, especially their beef cattle. And uh, this really was uh, this is really shocking. I once read uh, uh, an article about this. It told about how I mean there were 
European countries and went off to Africa. And, uh, of course, they had guns and the people there didn't. And they take over the country, and the first thing they did was they turned it into meat-eating production to send the meat back to the, the European country. I mean, it, it, it's astounding how much this has gone on. Uh, for I mean, we're talking about maybe two, three hundred years. So again, we have this viciousness, you see, that, that comes to me. Say, my, don't we sound very righteous? <laughs> <laughs> well, we're just providing the facts, and and it's out there. There's an abundance of. Uh articles out there so people can just google you know vegetarian vegan it's there's there's so much information out there and that leads me to my next point can you tell us about your website and also talk to us about your books oh okay if i can uh, remember <laughs> what the books are we have a list somewhere so actually we have a west website called oco i mean no it's web addresses org. Yes. And that, that means original Christianity, original yoga. Uh, I must admit that's not a uh, new idea with me. Uh, in 1920 in America, we were very fortunate that one of the greatest yogis, if not the greatest yogi of the 20th century, came to America. He actually came uh, for a religious conference in Boston. His name was Swami Yogananda, and he, he was from Calcutta, and uh, was really a very remarkable person. And he often said to the people here, now I haven't come like a missionary to convert you, but I am going to present to you what is original Christianity and original yoga, and uh, which he did. And... Uh, he wrote on this extensively. Others have as well, actually, in India. And uh, so we're trying to present the fact that, I mean, now it's becoming more and more uh, known that there are texts which you can find in India, uh, some of them in Sanskrit, actually, uh, which relate the fact that Jesus went to India. And spent a great deal of time there. Actually, when Jesus came back to Israel, he had lived in India more years than he had lived in Israel. And uh, he was bringing that wisdom. I know a lot of people don't like to hear this. Just recently, one of my books got a very, very uh, a blasting review <laughs> right. that I had, had dared to say something like this. But, uh, the, the, you know, he came back, he brought... The wisdom he learned, and well, we know what the results were. People didn't like it. And uh, he returned to India. One of the very ancient Christian writers, um, oh, Irenaeus of Leon, yes, wrote that, um, and also, besides Irenaeus, I think, Clement of Alexandria, they both said that uh, Jesus lived... Uh, to be nearly 70 years old. Well, we all know that, that, that when his crucifixion occurred when he was 33. And uh, you, people have been wondering for, for a long time, uh, why would they say such a thing? And it was because he returned to India and, and stayed there. In fact, lived in the Himalayas. You know, Bianca, they have in Kashmir, in the Himalayas there. 
in one ashram, they have a big walking stick that Jesus used. And uh, it works miracles. In fact, when they have terrible weather, floods, and so on, in, that, in Kashmir, they, they send for that, and they take this walking stick there, and wherever it goes, the weather clears up. Oh, interesting. Some people say we've been eating animals since the dawn of humankind. And I just wanted to read this for the listener. Prehistoric humans and their ancestors ate some amount of meat. There's no question about that, the writer says. However, an in-depth analysis by science writer Rob Dunn, published in the Scientific American Reports, on recent studies indicating that human ancestors were nearly all vegetarians. But again, is what our ancestors ate really relevant to the very different circumstances we face today regarding our food choices and lifestyles? We are no more compelled to eat like our ancestors than we are to practice cannibalism, rape, slavery, murder or any other violent traditions which are all an unfortunate part of our human legacy as this report says in front of me and I just I just found that really interesting you know we people always make the comment yeah but you know it goes back to the caveman day you know we meat eaters that's what we do well no not necessarily and it's it's having these discussions that I like is because it challenges our beliefs sometimes we sort of preconditioned to think that certain things are the facts but if we delve deeper and and use our own mind and and instincts and and know-how we can search for certain answers you know that might look it may be right for one person and not for another but as long as we question what we've been told well you know i can tell you a very sad example of this uh a very good friend of mine had a very good friend who was actually practicing yoga she was uh, a, a follower of yogananda actually and and was a vegetarian and then somehow somebody gave her a book where the whole idea was, oh, humans have always eaten meat, and even that the meat should be eaten raw. Can you imagine? Mm. And I'm sorry to tell you that this woman, who'd been a vegetarian for some years, I guess her her discrimination had (laughs) developed, she began eating raw meat, all right? Mm -hmm. Bianca, in less than a year, she was dead of brain cancer. Oh, dear. That's terrible. Like I mentioned last time, the word for me, musu, me, you. In other words, you kill me, I, I'll kill you. When you, you know, you eat me. I can uh, give you, it's very clear, uh, even in the Bible, the book of Genesis, uh, it says right in the first chapter, God says, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree, and which is a fruit of a tree, yielding seed. Okay? Medicine. Shall be for... And you see, they'll put the word meat in, like especially in the King James Version, and it, it, the word is for food. Brosis, for example, in the, in the New Testament, just means food. And, but in, in those days, um, <clears throat> they used the word meat to just mean food. But then because people were always eating this and the rich were able to eat more flesh than uh, the poor people, then the word meat was, was used. And it does not mean uh, there is sarkos in Greek, which is uh, um, a, a word for meat, but this won't be used usually in the New Testament. 
And so it says, and to every, now this is interesting, because uh, we think, well, animals at least are natural carnivores. It says, and every beast of the earth, and every fowl of the air, and everything that creepeth upon the earth, those of us even reptiles, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. And even David in the Psalms, in the 104th Psalm, mm-hmm. says, He causes the grass to grow for the cattle, and herb for the service of man, that he may bring forth food out of the earth. Yeah, that, that's right. The earth provides all the medicine that we need, the herbs, nutrients, greens, vegetables, herbs. It's all there. That's what keeps us healthy. In fact, I'd like to recommend uh, uh, on the website, again, ocoy.org, yes. there's an article called Spiritual Benefits of a Vegetarian Diet. Mm, I've read that. And I, really rec- I really recommend it. And there's far more uh, uh, material uh, from the Bible. For example, Daniel, you know, who was a great visionary when he was uh, a prisoner in Babylon, there was one point where uh, there were Babylon, uh, I mean Daniel, sorry, and some young men with him, and they just said, we will not eat meat. That's very interesting, isn't it? I mean, it's a long time ago, many centuries ago. So it says right there in the Bible, in the book of Daniel, that, of course, you know, if people say they're vegetarian, they say, what do you do for protein, and how do you do this, how do you do that? People have the same mentality, though not maybe the scientific words. But anyway, they were isolated, and they ate only a vegetarian diet, and it says that after some time, even the king himself saw that they were healthier. Mm-hmm. I've actually. Sorry. And then there is one prophet, and forgive me. You know, Bianca, I was terrible as as a child on names. Not very good now. There's one of the prophets, but it's written. It's in the book, in the article, "Spiritual Benefits of a Vegetarian Mm -hmm. Diet." That God wanted to give him really intense revelation, and He tells him, "Go out, literally, go out in the middle of the field, and sit there for these days." and eat only what is there around you. And he did so, and it purified his mind enough that he received the communications from God that uh, he was supposed to get. So, you know, once, you're, once you make uh, the uh, transition, you, you cross across the river, then all around you, you see, well, yes, Pythagoras was a vegetarian, you know, this, this Einstein, great... Einstein, I think Einstein. Oh, absolutely, yes. Of Apollonia Satiana, who was a great miracle worker, actually virtually at the time of Jesus and his life, which was written by people that knew him. In fact, he worked miracles. And when people said, how is it you can work miracles? He said, because of my whole life I have never eaten animal flesh. I that have... was his... Jay. Uh, sorry to interrupt, it's just that I'm keeping an eye on the time and we've only got about five minutes left so th- I just want to try and get as many points. Gosh, it's all there in the, in the stories and the, the evidence is all there. 
And, you can, oh, yeah. and we can just speak to so many people. There's so many, there's, I think there's a movement that's been happening for quite a while, people transitioning to a vegetarian and vegan diet, vegetarian or vegan, because as we know, there's, you know, there's a difference, but I say vegetarian or vegan. Lots of people still have a dairy product. But, um, yeah, it's phenomenal, and you can speak to so many people, and they'll all say the same thing. So we're not saying anything that uh, we're just opening up the conversation on what is out there on that topic. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was sick. I really felt sick. Plus, of course, again, like someone had given me a minor lobotomy. So from then on, I'd always say to people, you know, I'm really sorry, but I can't eat that because it makes me sick, and I don't like to hurt your feelings by not eating what you offer me, but I know you'd feel worse (laughs) if you knew that it made me sick. Oh, you're so (laughs) lovely. So that's what you have to do again. Well, that's right. (laughs) People understand it again, Bianca. It's sort of like the horrible, vicious circle. You you eat meat, and because you eat meat, you don't quite get why you should be a vegetarian. So you keep eating meat, and you don't become a vegetarian. It's sort of like having your eyes glued shut. Yeah, it's de- um, def- definitely uh, quite an amazing uh, life-changing experience when people do make that transition, and you can just go- Google it all. It's all there, and so if people want to go to your website, what do they type in? Because we've, we've come to the end of the program. Okay, we have. Wow, it's been so much fun. It's been fast. So they type in O-C-O-Y, and they come up with your information. Yes, O-C-O-Y.org. Excellent, excellent. Okay, and I guess we can get to the books. But uh, uh, does Amazon function in Australia? Yes. Are they everywhere? Okay. Well, just look up Abbott George Burke under the book section of Amazon. And let's see, what have I got here? Let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six. So far, six books working on about four or five more. Wonderful. We, we, we're going to have to do a part three. What do you think? <laughs> Sure, any time. Oh, Abbott George Burke, thank you so much for calling in again. I must end the program. The next people are here. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. We'll speak soon. Uh, Bye. Bye Bye-bye.